in a series uh, called The Grind of the Grace. The Grind of the Grace. We're looking at the book of James. Uh, and James has, uh, has been tough. Uh, I don't know if you guys have felt it. I have, especially in preparing it week by week. I'm just like, uh, James is not holding back. Uh, he's really laying it out. He's putting it all on the table. And he's, he's basically going, hey, guys, if you say you are a Christian, he's uh, writing to the church and he's saying, if you say you are a Christian, then these are some of the things that uh, you should see in your life. All right, these are some of the fruits that you should see in your life. And if you don't, then you should pause for a moment and ask yourself, hey, have I really crossed the line of faith? Right? And, and it's hard stuff because a lot of it I'll read and I'll be like, oh my goodness, I fall short there and there and here. And so does that mean I'm not a Christian? And, and it's, that's not what James is saying. Right? He's not saying that. Uh, yes, we are called to perfection. That's the standard that God requires from us. But because we cannot, we cannot meet that standard, he sends Jesus. And we'll get into that in a moment. But he sends Jesus who then stands in our place. And so when we anchor ourselves in him, that God through Jesus sees us and welcomes us in. All right? And that is the gospel. Right? But James still doesn't hold back. He still says, listen, guys, this is serious stuff. This is serious stuff. It's not just because you were born in a Christian family or you've been going to Bible study or you show up to church or you show up to prayer gatherings that your faith must have fruit. It must have fruit. That's what James is all about. And so we're going to continue in chapter 2. It's going to be up on the screen. I'm going to read it to us. And then I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for you. I ask that you pray for me. That God would do something more powerful than we could ever imagine right here this very morning. And so James chapter 2 from verse 14. Hear these words of our Father. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one, good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. From our passage this morning, James is going to show us three things about faith. He's going to unpack three kinds of faith. We're going to see a dead faith a demonic faith, and a dynamic faith, all right? A dead faith, a demonic faith, and a dynamic faith. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful to gather together as your people uh, who are in pursuit of you. We want to know you. We want to enjoy you. 
And so, God, would you meet us where we are this morning? That I am sure many of us have walked in here with uh, many challenges and burdens and realities that we have to face. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you would meet every single person where they are, that they would feel your presence, that they would know your grace and your love. And Lord, as we navigate through this passage, as difficult as it is, I'm asking that it would reveal the dark areas in our lives and that, that your light would shine, that we would be drawn to you, that we would see you as a loving father whose arms are wide open, ready to receive us and to love us and to show us the way to live a life that is pleasing to you. God, I pray against any distractions here this morning. I pray against the evil one whose desires are to steal, kill, and destroy. Lord, I ask that you would come and give joy to the full. And so it's to that end that I ask that you stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you'd have us know, say, and do. May the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. God, you are our king. You are our redeemer. Would you have your way in this place today? In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Friends, I've said it over and over and over and over again, and I'm going to say it once more, that real faith bears fruit. That's the point that James is making. Real faith bears fruit. Look in verse 14. James writes, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well-fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? James is borrowing from Matthew 25, verse 40 to 43, where Jesus is saying, listen, guys, your faith has got to bear fruits. And and this is how he does it. He says, "Uh, cursed are you who don't give to the poor, to the needy, to the sick, to, to those who don't go and visit those in prison. He says, cursed are you. Because if you don't, then it's, it's the same. This is Jesus' words. It's the same as not serving me. And so, and so many of them were like, well, Jesus, what are you on about? We never saw you that way. We never saw you that way. Because if, if we had, we would have definitely served you. And then Jesus says, well... And this is what I love about him. He, he's always identifying himself with those who are weak and in low positions, who have nothing. He says to them, well, when you fail to serve the needy and the poor and the sick, when you failed to visit those in prison, you didn't realize that that was me. That that was me. And so James borrows from J- Jesus. He borrows those words when he unpacks this and he says, listen, what good is your faith? when you see someone who is in desperate need and you just walk up to them and you go, bless you, brother, bless you, sister, I'll be praying for you, cheers. He says, what good is that? What good is that? And so in saying that, in setting the scene, preparing the soil, he he then says, because if you do that, you either land in one or two of these places, you're, Your faith is either dead or it's demonic. These are harsh words. I know. It's crazy. When I was preparing it, I was like, James, surely, maybe you meant, no. Your faith is either dead or demonic. Look with me in verse 17. He says, in the same way faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. 
If it doesn't have works, it's dead by itself. If it doesn't have fruit, then it's dead. It's non-existent. Now remember, I said the standard God calls us to is perfection. That is something that we will say regularly over and over again. The standard that God calls us to is perfection. And so regarding the needy, regarding the poor, regarding the sick, God demands that we serve them perfectly. But the reality is that we can't. None of us in here are perfect. None of us. That's why Jesus had to step in on our behalf. Again, friends, that's the gospel. And so while the the standard is perfection and, and God knows that we can't reach it and so he gives us Jesus and so in giving us Jesus, the standard is now progression. And so another way to say it is fine, I understand God may not be calling us to perfection but because of Jesus he now calls us to progression. That your life must be changing. That if you're sitting here and you're going, I'm a Christian, but my life looks exactly the same, and I'm talking about exactly, exactly the same as it did five years ago. Then James is saying, your faith is dead. Your faith is dead. Because as a Christian, you should be growing in your relationship with Jesus, that you're becoming more and more like him. And so, yes, I understand that look, I'm not going to get it perfect I'm not going to get it right every time, but surely it's better than what it was yesterday. He's calling us to progression. What we call sanctification. That God is continually setting us apart, making us more and more like him. And if you are not, if you see the needy and you see the poor and you see the sick and nothing happens in you, maybe you know all the right words, bless you, brother. Maybe you quote them a scripture and you are not compelled by the love of God to go, gosh, somehow I've got to intervene in this. And James says your faith is dead. He says if it doesn't produce works, then it is dead. Dr. Dr. Tony Marita uh, says it this way. He says the, the tongues of our mouths, right? The tongues of our mouths and the tongues of our shoes should go in the same direction. The tongues of our mouths and the tongues of our shoes should go in the same direction. And so what we say, what we say we believe, we should see it in our hands and feet. You can't say I'm a Christian and this is what I believe. I believe in the gospel, I believe in the scriptures, and yet your life produces zero fruit. You are not moved by what breaks God. You're happy to continue as long as it serves you. As long as it's about your comfort, your needs. Where the scripture calls us to love and serve God, which pours over in the loving of others. And so James says, be careful. Be careful that you do not have a dead faith. But he then transitions and he says, some of you in the church have a demonic faith. Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe. And they shudder. Now James is being sarcastic here. 
right? He's being sarcastic, but at the same time, he's being truthful. He's being truthful. You see, we often find ourselves saying, well, some have faith and some have works. We've created these two camps in the church today. Well, some have faith and some have works. What we're saying is that there are some who, who are more academically inclined. We'll use words like they are reformed, conservative, right? They have head knowledge. They have that kind of faith. And then the other camp will be like, well, these are the more practical Christians, right? The more practical Christians, the, the social justice movement. That's what we call it in the church. And so we don't engage in that because we're the academics. We're the ones that write books. We study scripture. We write doctrine, commentary after commentary. That's us. And then we have those who are out on the streets starting up NGOs and orphanages, sharing their faith, going on mission trips. Those are the practical ones. And so James says, listen, this is what you guys are saying. Some have faith and some have works. Now, I have two issues with this line of thinking. The one is that these terms are man-given and not God-given. Reformed and conservative. Look, they're good, good words that have great definitions. But they are man-given. What Jesus calls us to is be biblical. Be biblical. I run into so many people who will be like, oh, so what's your church, man? Are you guys reformed? Are you, are you liberal? Like, where do you guys land? No, we land where the Bible lands. We're biblical. These are man-made terms. The, the social justice movement. What on earth is that? Jesus didn't come to start a social justice movement. Jesus came to bring the kingdom. He came to bring the kingdom. And so that's my first issue with this line of thinking. My second issue is that if it was true, let's say, let's go with it. Let's say, okay, cool, there is uh, those who are academically inclined, right? That's, that's good, and it is good. I'm, I'm not making fun of it. It is good. And then there are those who are a little bit more practical. They're always trying to figure out how can we be the hands and feet of Jesus, right? It, let's say those two camps did exist. Uh, the second problem with this line of thinking is that you can never separate them. You cannot separate them. The one will always lead to the other. That's what James is saying. He's saying true faith, true faith will take what you understand and it will flow into your heart and make its way to your hands and feet. You cannot separate them. Hence, James makes the argument that even demons believe. This is where it gets super scary. He says even demons believe. Friends, I'm convinced that a lot of demons know more scripture than I do. I'm convinced of that. They know most of the doctrines that we know. They probably know it better than most of us do. They know the creeds. They know our statement of faith. That's, that's what James is saying. He says, even the demons believe. But because they have not been transformed by the gospel... It's just head knowledge. It's just head knowledge. Because they would show up here and be like, yeah, no. God is one. God is one. He sits on his throne. He's fully in control. But their hearts haven't been transformed to that place where they go, and I want to be obedient to him. And so James says that's a demonic faith. It's a demonic faith. 
Matt Chandler, a pastor in Texas, has a great illustration regarding faith. He says, all of us believe. At the core of each and every one of us, we believe. We may not, may not believe in Jesus, but we believe in something. And so we all have faith. We're trusting in something. So I'm going to take that illustration and extend it to those who have crossed the line of faith. To those of us here who say we're Christian. It's like saying, no, I, I believe. I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. It's like me saying, I believe in that chair. I believe that that chair will hold me when I sit down. That its legs are made of steel and, and there's a really thick plastic that's over it. And so it will hold me. I believe. Well, how do I know? How do I transition that head knowledge to actual practical faith? What do I need to do? I need to sit on it. I need to sit on it. It's one thing to say, I believe it'll hold me. It's like, okay, cool. Take a seat. Yeah, well, you know, see how, how it works is, no, have, have a seat. You believe it'll hold you, then have a seat. Yeah, well, let me, let me go get that one commentary on uh, the design of chairs. And maybe you and I can stand while we engage about how these chairs are actually designed and their purpose. And man, it'll be great. And I'll be like, go get your commentary. Let's do it. And at the end of it, I'll be like, that was great. Will you now take a seat? Well, actually, let me, let me uh, explain to you. Guys, we do this all the time. I, I believe that God will provide for me. I believe that he will provide for me. That is great. Take a seat. Will you sacrificially give? Uh, well, see how my investment account works is... Um, Friends, we do this with everything. Our relationships. I believe God will provide for me. Okay, take a seat. Mm, wait, let me, let me go make some other plans real quick. True faith will bear fruit. True faith will allow you to take a seat and go, I trust completely. I trust completely. Theology is not an ends in itself. It's important and we need it. We, we unpack the scriptures every week to make it clear and plain to us. So theology is important, but it's not an end in of itself. Theology must lead to doxology. What is doxology? It's worship. It's praise. Our theology must lead us to doxology. If it does not, then you do not have faith. And what James is saying, these are not my words, all right, these are not my words. If you're going to quote this on Twitter, don't say, honest said I have. No, James says that if you say you believe, but you're not willing to sit down, then you have a demonic faith. And so James says, friends, don't fall in either of those camps. He's pleading with the church. He's saying, guys, please, 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 please don't walk out of here thinking I am a Christian when in reality your faith is either dead or demonic. James calls us to a dynamic faith. A dynamic faith. Verse 20. Senseless person. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? 
You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, some of you are probably going, hold on, that doesn't make sense. I've always heard that it's grace and grace alone. We're going to get to that in a moment. Let's keep reading verse 25. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? Now, to unpack this dynamic faith, James brings in some examples. Okay, he, he brings in some Old Testament examples to help us understand this dynamic faith. I love the fact that James takes two individuals from two opposite sides of the social spectrum. I love that. Guys, scripture is incredible. But we'll see that in a moment. He takes Abraham, the hero of our faith, the father of our faith. Remember, he's writing to a Jewish context. So many of them would have gone, no, we know Abraham. We know the songs, right? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of the... Guys, do you, do you guys... Am I singing it out of tune? Is that why you're not participating? Some of you might be sitting here going, I have no idea what he's singing. That, that, that's fine. He brings up Abraham, the father of our faith respected. They would have loved him, cherished him. They would have gone, yeah, that makes sense to use him as an illustration. But then he uses Rahab, the Gentile prostitute. Don't miss it. He, he takes Abraham, one they would have gone, yeah, absolutely, love him. And then he says, no, and, and, Abraham, uh, and Rahab as well. I'm going to put Abraham here, but I'm also going to lift up Rahab, the Gentile prostitute. And it's like, whoa, whoa wait, wait, what? Here's why. Let's talk about Abraham first. James quotes the example of Abraham making his case that genuine faith, genuine saving faith in God always leads to participating in good works. That's the point he's trying to make. Specifically, James points to the moment when God commanded Abraham to sacrifice his only son Isaac. And so in obedience, Abraham set out to do exactly that thing. He was obedient right up until the moment God told him to stop. We read about this in Genesis, Genesis 22. And, and again, sometimes we read the scriptures too quickly. We'll read right through that and be like, okay, cool, makes sense, let's keep going. Where does it make sense? You're struggling to have a child. God promises you one. He gives you one. And then he says, now I want you to go sacrifice him. At that moment, you're just going, I have no idea. Hold on. What, what on earth is going on? But he's obedient. And so he takes his boy. They go up the mountain. Don't pass over this too quickly. He ties him up. I'm sure at any moment he's going, you know, like, man, I, I'm, I'm trusting, I'm believing. This isn't just head knowledge. I, I believe that God is one and that he is seated on his throne. I've seen him do mighty works. But at, at the same time, the emotions of knowing that you are now called to sacrifice your only son. And so he ties him up, takes the blade, raises it. And God tells him to stop. 
James uses Abraham because he's saying, listen, it's not just about what you know. It's about what it calls you to do. Will you be obedient to what you have read? Will you be obedient to what you have been told? Now, some see a contradiction here between James and Paul. Paul's writings are renowned for emphasizing that we are saved by grace. You see this in Ephesians chapter 2. Through faith and faith alone, without any contribution of any good deeds. That's what Paul is known for. So James, but James does not dispute this, right? James does not dispute this. Rather, the entire passage is James' discussion of what kind of faith is saving faith. That's the point that James is trying to make. James's point is that faith alone saves, but faith which saves is the kind which leads to good works. Paul emphasizes our eternal salvation in God. James highlights how our actions prove the nature of our faith. The fact that these two men are in agreement is shown in other similarities. For example, Paul and James quote Genesis 15 verse 6. Paul quotes it in Romans chapter 4 verse 3 as part of his teaching that salvation is available only through faith. James quotes it, Genesis 15 verse 6, he quotes it here in support of his teaching that genuine faith always leads to good works. James and Paul present arguments which do not contradict one another, but rather they complement one another. I want you guys to see that. They don't contradict one another, but they're complementing one another. One must be counted by God as righteous in order to, to be in a relationship with him. Paul and the rest of the New Testament writers are clear that our only hope of being found righteous by God is to trust in Christ. That is saving faith. That is what saving faith is. It is a submissive, repentant trust in Jesus Christ. When we express that faith, hear me, when we express that faith, God forgives our sin and gives us credit for the righteous life of Jesus. No good deeds can earn this. And none are required for us to get this. I want this to be absolutely clear in our minds. And so, when Paul uses the word justified, because that's the word that trips us up. That's the word that's a little confusing in all of this. It's like, well, well, hold on. Paul says, no, 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 it's, it's not about works. But James is saying, guys, your works are evidence here. In both these cases, the word that trips us up is justified. It's the word justified. Now, in its definition, in its simplest definition, justified means to be declared righteous to be declared innocent, to be able to walk away as if you committed no wrong. That's what it means to be justified. But, but Paul and James use this word differently. And so here's where maybe the English language fails us. Because we'll read it and we'll only have one definition for it. But yet Paul and James were able to define it differently. Not contradicting one another, but complementing one another. You see, when Paul uses it in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, when he uses this word justified, he means to be saved, to be credited something, to be declared innocent, blameless, without sin, to receive something. 
That's what he means when he uses the word justified. But when James uses the word justified, he means, he means it to, to be verified, to be validated, to demonstrate something. And so he's saying that, listen, your works validate your faith. Your works demonstrate your faith. That's what James is saying. So he's not contradicting what Paul said, but he's, he's complimenting it. He's saying it flows into one another. You've got to understand what Paul was saying so that you can understand what I'm saying and that they flow into one another. James is basically saying that real faith will bear real fruit. If you have received righteousness from Jesus, it will bear fruit. Not maybe, there are no conditions. It will bear fruit. And that fruit will act as evidence of the fact that you have received righteousness from Jesus. And so offering, the offering of Isaac was a demonstration of Abraham's faith. But God spared Isaac. God did not spare Jesus. Here's the gospel. God gave Jesus up so that we might be spared. He spared Isaac, but he did not spare Jesus. He gave him up so that we would be like Isaac, that we might be spared as well. That is the gospel. This is the ultimate sacrifice that is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. But that's Abraham. He, he then transitions and then uses Rahab. I love the story of Rahab. The Gentile prostitute. Go to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua sends some spies to go survey the land, to go see if Jericho could be a place where they could stay. So he sends some spies and they show up and, and then Rahab hides them. She protects them. And so James uses that as a demonstration of dynamic faith. Rahab offers hospitality as a sign of true faith. She may not have understood how everything works together. Because I know some of you might be sitting here going, oh, but she was a prostitute. Well, some of y'all are liars. And if we take Jesus at his word, you're murderers. Do you have hate in your heart? Jesus says you're a murderer. Have you looked lustfully at someone else? Then you are an adulterer. So, so don't be quick to judge. Remember, it's not perfection, but progression that we are called to. And so I love the fact that he does that. James elevates Rahab and he's, he's saying to them, listen, you guys aren't perfect. Don't be judged. Don't, don't think of yourselves only as Abraham. Some of y'all are Rahab. But you can also have a dynamic faith. We're told in Joshua 6 that because of her faithfulness, Rahab's family was saved. The implications of our obedience... Rahab did not have to clean up before believing. She did not have to clean up before believing. If she did, then that would be a work-based salvation, and we do not believe in that. She believed, and because she believed, God cleaned her up. Because you believe, God will clean you up. Some of you are sitting here going, I want to come to Jesus, but I need to sort out my life. I need to sort out my relationships. I need to sort out my finances. I need to sort out all the sin that I have in my life. No, no, no. Come to Jesus and he will do that. 
He will walk this journey with you. And as you do so, your life will bear fruit. Your life will bear fruit. He closes in verse 26 by saying, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. I'll read it again. So, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Now, now I could unpack this for days, but I, I won't spare you my voice. Well, I will give you my voice because I'm about to read, but not my words. I'm going to give you the words of Martin Luther, the German reformer. This is what he says. This is how he understands verse 26. He says, faith is a divine work in us. It changes us and makes us to be born anew of God. You find this in John chapter 1. It kills the old Adam and makes altogether different people in heart and spirit and mind and powers and it brings with it the Holy Spirit. Our faith is living. It's busy. It's active. It's a mighty thing, this faith. And so it is impossible for it to not do good works. It does not ask whether there are good works to do. But before the question rises, it has already done them. It is always doing them. It is the mark of a believer. He who does not see these works is a faithless man. He searches blindly and looks about after faith and good works and knows neither. He talks and talks with many words about faith and good works, but knows nothing of it. Faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace. So sure and certain that a man would stake his life on it a thousand times. This confidence in God's grace and knowledge of it makes men glad and bold and happy in dealing with God and all his creatures. What Martin Luther is basically saying is that if you have faith, true faith, genuine faith, real faith, then you are willing to lay it all down at Jesus' feet in obedience. That's what he's saying. You will lay down your relationships, your resources, your time, your emotions, everything. And as you do that, Jesus will work in you and through you. And you will bear fruit. People should be able to look at your life and go, man, there's something radically different about you. The way you interact with your spouse, man, it's just, it's different. The way you handle your money, the, the way you handle your colleagues, why are you always trying to reach out to those who, who have less than? What, what is this about you? And your answer is Jesus and Jesus alone. But the faith that I have is genuine. But it's not dead, it's not demonic, but it's dynamic. This is how the kingdom of God, of God advances. So let me, let me wrap up real quick. By saying, James, he kind of gives us three things here. As we wrap up chapter 2, he gives us three things. He, he gives us instructions, he, he gives us a warning, and then he gives us encouragement. The instruction is that we're to be clear about this teaching. That every Sunday, you guys should be able to walk away going, no, you know what, the gospel was preached, it was clear, it's by faith and faith alone. But when we have true faith, it leads to good works, and all of that is centered around the gospel. Be clear. Be clear on this teaching. So many people uh, believe they have come to Jesus when in reality they are far from him because they've been given a false gospel. 
And so James wants us to be clear. That's the instruction that he gives us. Be clear on this teaching that grace is the source of our salvation and that Jesus is the basis of our salvation and that faith is the means of our salvation. And so therefore works are the evidence of our salvation. Be clear on this teaching. The second thing he gives us is a warning. This warning is to examine ourselves. It's to examine ourselves that, that the scriptures should act as a mirror where we look into and go, man, am I, am I really following Jesus? Am I being obedient here? Am I trusting in him? Are you failing? Yes, you will. But is there progression? He warns us. And then the last one is, he leaves us with an encouragement. That if you are a Christian and you are bearing fruit, God is gracious to you. So keep going. Keep going. Keep swimming in that grace. If you are bearing fruit, keep swimming in that grace. It's tough. It's long. But it's good. It's much like farming or agriculture. That there is a tending of the field. A sowing. A patient waiting. Waiting for the right climate, for the right rain. And when it comes, when it comes, if you have faith, it will come. You will bear much fruit. Be encouraged by that, friends. Be encouraged by that. And so even as we look to Easter during this this week, this holy week, we start it on Palm Sunday. All of this starts on Palm Sunday. That's today. Palm Sunday was when uh, Jesus got on a donkey, and I'm summarizing real quick because you're going to get all the information that you need, but he gets on a donkey and he walks down this long road heading towards the cross, heading towards what he was sent to do, to die on our behalf so that we might be reconciled to the Father and reconciled to one another. It all began on Palm Sunday. But, but, But here's what happened. People were praising him. They were showing up and they were like, oh, hail him, Hosanna, the king. But they didn't understand what Jesus was actually here to do. See, in their minds, they were thinking, oh, he's coming to liberate us from this current situation that we're in under the rule of the Roman Empire. They saw him as an earthly king. And so they were praising him. But how do you know? How do you know that that's how they saw him? Well, a few days later, when he was on the cross completing, completing what he was called to do. There was no one there. There was no one there praising him. No one there crying out, Hosanna. They had all left him. All those people who had showed up a couple of days before, this is our king. It's like, well, he's still the king on the cross, but they're not there anymore because in their minds and their hearts, they believed that he had failed. Now this happened years after Abraham and Rahab. But I want to believe that Abraham and Rahab would have been there Palm Sunday and would have been there at the cross. I want to believe that. That's why righteousness was credited to them. It wasn't perfect. They might have taken the long route to get to the cross, maybe. But I believe they would have been there. Their faith would have taken them to the cross. My question to you this morning is, many of us, I'm pretty sure we would have been there watching Jesus, praising him, crying out, Hosanna. But when things don't go our way, 
when it gets dark and scary, when we're filled with anxiety and uncertainty, do we still cry out, Hosanna, our King? Will we be there? Watching him nailed to that cross, dying for you and me. We don't just praise him in the good times. We praise him in the difficult times because he is still king. And true faith, true faith will get us there. True faith will allow us to persevere till the end. True faith will bear much fruit. And so friends, I'm pleading with you that you would examine yourself enough to get to the point where you recognize that you have true faith. And if you don't, there's an opportunity for you to come to Jesus. He is still crying out to you saying you are more than welcome. You are more than welcome. I will give you all that you need. And that we would not be those who just praise Him in the good. But we're able to praise Him when it's tough because we know, we know, we know who He is. He's the King of all kings. Seated on His throne. But he's also our friend who engages us and meets us where we are. And so because of that, we can cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna to the one who sits on the highest. So that is, that is my hope. That every breath that we take would acknowledge the one seated on the throne who laid it all down, gave up his life so that we might be reconciled to the Father and experience true joy. Not the stuff that we run to and and grab and hope that it'll give us all that we need, but fails us over and over again. You know what that is for you. My hope is that the Scriptures would come alive in your life. That they would produce much fruit because you are anchored in true faith. And so we close every gathering with a benediction. If you're unfamiliar with this word, benediction comes from two, bena and diction. Bena meaning good and diction meaning word. And so we close with a good word. And and while there are many great words out there in the form of quotes and songs, we believe the greatest words are found here. And so we close with words dripping in the blood of Jesus. And so as I read these to you, I ask that you take the hand of the person next to you. There's nothing magical about this. But what it communicates is incredibly powerful. I started our gathering with it and I end with it, is that we are designed for fellowship. We are beautifully designed for fellowship. We cannot live in isolation. And so as I read these words to you, may they come to you as a blessing. One that is received corporately so that we might go out together to bear much fruit. So hear these words found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain.
And so, Father, we're asking that this would be the cry of our hearts. That we would be those who were remembered as being steadfast, like Abraham. Immovable, like Rahab. Always excelling in the Lord's work, like many of those who have gone before us. Because we know, like they knew, that our labor is not in vain. That it counts for something. One day we will be able to look back on these days and give praise to the one who is on the throne because he did not leave us nor forsake us. He is our Father. And so let every breath that we take acknowledge that. Great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. In every situation, in every reality, great are are you, Lord, in every relationship. Great are you, Lord. Father, we love you. We praise you. Send us out with your truth. In Jesus' beautiful, beautiful name we pray. Amen.